Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So, um, did you get a chance to uh, look at this? Isn't it nice? Uh, it's a lot of a lot of work that went into this simple um, page of information. A lot of work, and I really appreciate all the thought that did go into it. Um, <clears throat> useful terms to know. Thursday program, Donna, community activities, creating harmony. Read the creating harmony section. Those are just things that'll make the the evening go smoothly and uh, everybody participate skillfully. And the chanting on the back. So many times people have said, uh, what is that chanting stuff that you do? And you know, Do you have any chanting sheets? And, uh, yeah, and I usually run back there and try to find a couple left over and don't. I say, oh, next week I'll bring some in. But, well, here it is. Okay. So, um, so uh, to celebrate this, uh, this flyer and and appreciate all the work that did go into it. I want to talk tonight on um, community and um, like-minded friendship. What is called, most of you know the word, the term is here and the useful terms to know, Sangha. Sangha, S-A-N-G-H-A. It is as most of you probably know, one of the, the three jewels or refuges in this teaching, along with taking refuge in the Buddha, that is the place inside of us that is already wise and awake, that has the potential for, for full understanding, as well as the historical figure who inspired uh, and has inspired uh, many of us taking refuge in the Dharma, in the truth, the way things really are, and taking refuge in the Sangha. Now, traditionally, Sangha is referred to the ordained Sangha of monastics, monks and nuns, but it also is more inclusive um, to refer to a community of like-minded friends, in, uh, in Hindu um, uh, teachings, the word is satsang. Sat meaning truth and sang being uh, company, in the company of truth, same, same thing. Uh, or uh, in Christian uh, teachings, Jesus, uh, what do you say, um, where, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I will be also. There's something quite extraordinary about sharing these values and spiritual practice with even one other person. And uh, many of you probably know the 
the exchange by the, the, the Buddha and his attendant Ananda, where Ananda says, it seems, O oh Lord, that having good friends is half of the holy life. And the Buddha says, not so, Ananda, not so. Having good friends is the whole of the holy life. Whether or not you've ever heard of Buddhist teachings, we all know the, the value and the importance of having good friends. In the uh, Magiya Sutta, I've talked about it here, where the Buddha talks about when your practice is not so strong, your mindfulness practice is not so strong, he says this to this, this monk who goes to, to meditate, thinking, ah, I finally am going to get my own really nice meditation spot. He finds this perfect mango grove, and he goes to sit down, and his mind is filled with thoughts of ill will, sense desire, and cruelty. You know? <laughs> And he says, I can't believe it. This is amazing. He goes back to the Buddha who had first tried to tell him to, to wait. He thought that he was a little bit uh, green. And uh, he says, this is amazing. I sat down in the, the, this mango grove and uh, my, thought, my mind was everywhere, just filled with thoughts of cruelty and ill will and desire. You know, God, amazing. And the Buddha says, yeah, when your mind is not yet ripe, Besides the meditation, there are different supports for your practice. And then he goes on to name these five different supports. And the first one that he mentions is um, being in the company of like-minded friends, of good companions. And it is the one um, common factor of... The seven factors of enlightenment, these various things like equanimity and concentration and joy and mindfulness, all of those factors of enlightenment have um, causes for their development. And the one common cause with all of those factors, it's the only common cause, if you want to develop equanimity, be with people who are equanimous. If you want to develop joy, be with people who have developed joy. If you want to in, uh, um, cultivate investigation and interest, inquiry, be with people who've developed that. Being in the company of the wise. There's a learning and a comfort and a refuge that we take in good friendship. I can remember when I before I got into this, this practice and these teachings, um, I remember my, my first big doorway into the spiritual journey, or one of the big doorways, was coming across um, Be Here Now, as many, many people came across that book. And I remember, by Ram Dass, I remember reading that book and having the major sense that I got as I read it, and I couldn't believe my, my eyes and my heart what I was reading, was, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one that thinks this way. You know? And there he was kind of describing my reality and, and something that I, I yearned for, but I, I often felt that I was kind of an alien that had just dropped here from another planet and 
people were just on a very different wavelength than I was. I remember when I was a kid growing up and uh, a lot of, lot of kids my age or friends wanted to play with G.I. Joes and, and you know, different kinds of uh, things that had no interest for me. And I just, I just felt so different and alone. And reading Be Here Now was this first hit that there's a whole lot of us out there. I got so excited. It was the turning point for me, a turning point. Because when we feel we're alone, it's very scary to be alone, isn't it? That's probably our greatest fear. When we get very frightened, the hard part is thinking that we're cut off, that nobody understands. And so we yearn for connection and intimacy. The irony is that intimacy is often our next greatest fear. You know, well, what if I really get close with somebody? So we have this kind of push-pull, you know, heaven forbid I'd be alone, but oh my goodness, now I'm getting to know this person and they're getting to know me. And, uh, or joining a group, you know, that was one that really... You know, I had my, my guard up. I don't join things. I kind of, you know, I'm self-sufficient. You know? <laughs> Gee, what are they doing? They look like they're having fun, you know. <laughs> when I uh, first came in contact with these teachings in uh, 1974, I was out in... Uh, Boulder, Colorado, at Naropa Institute. Um, and it was like this big circus, this, this spiritual carnival fair, bizarre, bizarre. Um, it was wonderful. I, I, felt, I felt so supported and connected. And then I went back to my home in New York City, where I lived on my own in an apartment, going through the New York winters, and not knowing anybody who did this meditation stuff. And it was so lonely. I did it every day, you know, because it was my savior. Wow, okay, meditating. But it got so lonely. And here we are, we're blessed you know, in the Bay Area. This is the, the spiritual supermarket of the world. Uh, you know, it's kind of like going into Safeway and you know, where do you begin? What, what choices? But still you can be lonely, even being surrounded by people who might share your values. And particularly if you're new to the practice, um, it's hard to communicate to others who aren't, who aren't interested in this stuff just how deeply you can be inspired and, and affected by it. The Buddha gave this image, I, I mentioned this in the, uh, the beginning class that just finished this week, the six-week series. Uh, the Buddha talked about, at the beginning of practice, being like a, a tender sapling 
when you, when you plant a sapling that will grow into a tree, in the beginning, you have to take really good care of it. You have to give it just the right amount of shelter. You know, don't let the deer or other animals uh, come get it. You have to make sure it gets the right amount of sunlight, not too much, not too little, right amount of water and nourishment. You really have to tend it with a lot of love because it's so fragile. But once the roots grow deep and that sapling grows into a, a strong and vibrant tree, it doesn't matter what the weather conditions. You know, it can be stormy, it can be hailing, it can be windy. That tree is strong. So he said, if you are still developing and cultivating your practice, take very tender care and notice um, who, you be, who you are with and be around as best you can the company of people who understand, the company of the wise. This is from the Dhammapada. The Buddha says, the wise person tells you where you have fallen and where you yet may fall. Invaluable secrets. Follow them. Follow the way. Let them chasten and teach you and keep you from mischief. The world may hate wise people, but good uh, but the good people love them. Do not look for bad company or live with those who do not care. Find friends who love the truth. The uh, term for good friends in this tradition is Kalyana Mita spiritual friends. Mita comes from the same root as metta, friendship. Kalyana, spiritual, spiritual friend. You know, there are these Kalyana Mita groups that we have in, uh, around the Bay Area and other places of people coming together in small groups and, and sharing practice. What a good spiritual friend is, is somebody who's just a co-traveler. It's not like they know all the answers. Sometimes it can refer to a teacher, a Dharma teacher. But just as often, it's somebody who is traveling this path with you, and it helps to be traveling on any journey. It helps when there's somebody else who knows the territory or who is traveling with you. So when you get lost, they can say, hey, no, it's, it's over here, it's this way. Or the same that we can offer others. Even monks, you know, one would think a monk can be pretty self-sufficient and has withdrawn from the worldly activities. But that's not so. Monks and nuns need Sangha as much as anybody. And in fact, the Sangha is a very big piece of uh, the monastic life. It's very rare that there's what's called a Patyeka Buddha. A Patyeka Buddha is a self-enlightened Buddha, somebody who discovers the truth all for themselves. It's usually that we hear from others the truth, and what happens is 
they kind of remind us this place inside that knows, that just forgets from time to time, you know. Oh, yeah, you know, when you hear a Dharma talk or uh, read a book, how that light bulb can sometimes go, go off and go on and say, yeah, you know, right on. And what, it's, what that external reminder is doing is it, it touches a place inside of us that says, yeah, that's right. So good friends can remind us when we forget. They can overcome our doubts when we might be wondering, what's the point of this anyway? And they also are people who can share a common vision of what's possible or work on things together, like the group that, uh, that put the, uh, this, this brochure together. When you're working with a common vision, it's like you're moving outside of your small sense of self. And there's something greater that inspires you that makes you bigger than, than who you think yourself to be. Same in a relationship, a really strong relationship, primary relationship that I've, I see is one where two people are having a common vision of what's possible. And if there's the, the Dharma that's that's at the, the heart of that vision, so that you're each in the relationship to help each other grow, that is the basis of a very strong relationship, so that there's something bigger than just what each of you are going to get from the other. There's an incredible healing power in friendship. When we're frightened, when we're lost. Think of a time where you've been having a really hard time, say a difficult period. Maybe you've been having one lately or sometime in, in recent months. Just think of a time where you had some kind of a crisis or some kind of a, um, a very challenging period. And just Reflect, go inside for a moment. And if you remember what it was like when you were kind of confused or frightened, and you didn't quite know how to handle the situation, and just See if there was a point where you reached out to somebody and you talked about it with them and got another perspective on things. Who did you turn to? And if it was helpful, why did it help? What was so healing about that? Really, it's an inquiry into what's the essence of friendship. That's what we 
yearn for when we're frightened and confused, just somebody who would understand us. Okay, if you like, you can open your eyes. And it's not necessarily that they have the right answer for you. Often, that doesn't work. If you're looking for the right answer, it can get very frustrating. But the healing comes in just having a space where you're heard, where you're understood, where you're not bottling it up all on your own. And that's where the healing comes. And from that sense of security and comfort, the wisdom has a chance to emerge. Reminds me of, uh, I haven't thought about this for a while. You, uh, I remember when I was a psych major in, in school, the, uh, um, this research experiment, uh, what was the guy's name? Harry something. It was about surrogate mothers and, and monkeys. Uh, Harry whatever. What, anybody know his name? Harry Harlow. Harry Harlow. Thank you. Great. I haven't thought of that in years and years. But anyway, Harry Harlow did this experiment where uh, the monkeys were, were taken from their mothers and, uh, and some of them were separated from, from their mothers and, uh, and they saw, this is pretty gross to think, the effects of being separated from that mother and not having contact with them. And then other monkeys were just given a a wire mesh monkey, you know, an imitation monkey, a surrogate monkey. And they came and they would, they would get frightened and they'd, they'd be latching on to that, to that imitation, that model monkey. And then they'd get comforted from that monkey. And then they could go venture out again. And then they get freaked out and they come back just to clutch, to know that something, they could hold on to something. It's so primal, needing some comfort so we can have the the courage to to venture out. I wanted to uh, share with you some thoughts of the Buddha on what good friends are. This is from uh, the the Discourse on Advice to Lay People. I did this uh, quite some time ago. Uh, But I'll just read this little section. There are four types who can be seen as foes in friendly guise. They look like friends, but they're really not. The man who is all take is one. The great talker is one. The flatterer is one. And the fellow spendthrift is one. First, we'll we'll go through the, uh, the bad bad ones, you can keep your radar out, right? Um, so, the one who's, uh, who's all take wants, wants a lot and wants to give very little. What he must do, he does out of fear, and he's seeking just his own ends. The, good, the great talker can be seen to be a false friend for four reasons. He talks of favors in the past, Oh, I did this for you. Remember when I did that for you. And in the future, he mouths empty phrases of goodwill. And when something needs to be done in the present, he pleads inability owing to some disaster. Uh, Sorry, 
I got something else to do. The flatterer can be seen to be a false friend for reasons. Assents to bad actions, dissents from good actions, praises you to your face and disparages you behind your back. And then the fellow spendthrift, a companion when you indulge in intoxicants, when you haunt the streets at unfitting times. (laughs) See, even then. When you indulge in gambling. And then there are four types who can be seen to be loyal friends. A friend who is a helper is one. A friend who is the same in happy and unhappy times is one. The friend who points out what is good for you is one. And the friend who is sympathetic is one. And then there's an elaboration on all of these. And obviously it's not that one is one kind of friend and not another one, but we all have different emphases. The helpful friend looks after you when you're inattentive. Like, watch out, time to put on the brakes. Looks after your possessions when you are inattentive. Is a refuge when you are afraid. Like we were just talking. And when some business is to be done, he lets you have twice what you ask for. That's a good friend, huh? (laughs) A friend who's the same in happy and unhappy times, someone who's constant, tells you their secrets, guards your secrets, does not let you down in misfortune, and would even sacrifice their life for you. Friend who points out what is good for you, Four different ways. Such a person keeps you from wrongdoing, supports you in doing good, informs you of what you did not know, and points out the path to peace. Now, that's an interesting one. I'll just make a comment. We've mentioned this one before. A good friend is somebody who tells you when you're off. Okay? But the way they tell you determines whether they're a real good friend or not. Because you know? if you can feel their love, you know, and it's risky, even, even when you do feel their love, but if you can feel that that's where they're coming from, because they care so much about you that they won't let you steer in the wrong direction, that's a skillful thing to do. Sometimes we get afraid, oh no, I better not say something. It'll be, you know, embarrassing. You know, you know, if they've got some spinach between their teeth or something like that. You know, you probably want to tell them, uh, got something there. You, know? <laughs> you don't want to keep that from them. Well, in the same way, you know, if, you've, if they've done something that's causing themselves harm or another harm, there's going to be a price to pay for it. And, and it's, a, it's a useful thing and a skillful thing to do, especially if it's done with a lot of love. <clears throat> and then the sympathetic friend does not rejoice at your misfortune. You know how that feels? You know, oh! They've got the suffering, maybe a little bit 
more happiness for me. They got the quota of the suffering. You know. Well, a good friend is there with you when you're down, rejoices at your good fortune, has what's called sympathetic joy, delights in your good fortune, is, is there cheering you on. Yeah, fantastic. You know, we all, I think, ideally would love to have our cheering sections, you know, with us in our, in our minds. Just sometimes when, when, we, when I get a bit you know, doubtful or uh, more anxious, you know, just think of the people who are rooting for me. Stops others who speak against you and commends others who speak in praise of you. These are good friends. Now, even in the best community, the highest spiritual communities, or the best of friendships, doesn't always follow this formula. Conflicts arise. I can remember when I started getting into the spiritual life and had all these ideals about what it would mean to be around others who saw the truth as I see it. You you don't always find people who see things just the way you do, even if you know that you've got the truth, right? Because there's six billion people and six billion perspectives. Sometimes we're aligned, often we're aligned, but sometimes we're not. And it can be kind of disillusioning. Oh my goodness, you know, I thought this is how the rest of the world was, not not spiritual people. Well, just because you share values does not mean that there's no conflict. As you see in meditation practice, there's conflict in your own mind. You know, you can have arguments with yourself left and right. It's that much harder when you're dealing with another mind, with their set of conditioning and attachments. So, not to have lofty expectations. That's just part of it. And dealing with the conflict is an important part of practice. Just like a marriage. If you don't know how to deal with conflict in your marriage and just kind of assume that it's all going to be beautiful for the rest of your life, it will probably be a short-lived marriage, or a very painful one. But part of the process is learning how to sort things out and not blame and say, oh, they've got it wrong, but seeing, oh, they've got their perspective, I have mine, now how can we really understand and communicate together. And what is required is getting beyond the the different points of view to a place where you both meet in the depth of your being. You know, when when you really love somebody, you see all their flaws, but there's still something that that you love about them and that is not touched by the surface stuff. Well, when you start seeing that in everyone, this is, the, this is what real noble friendship is about. 
in India and Asia, there's the, the typical greeting when you see somebody, anybody, you say, Namaste. You know, sometimes Namaste, but Namaste often. Namaste and Namaste. And what Namaste means is I bow to you, I honor the place in you that is no different from the place in me that when we really see each other, we are one, we're not separate. Namaste. It sounds a lot, a lot more inspiring than hi, you know? <laughs> Although hi is really what we're, when we say hi or hello, you know, what are we doing? It's like, it touches, it approaches that place of openness that says, Hi, are you in there? I'm in here. You know? Nice to connect, even for this moment. Namaste goes a, a level deeper and sees where the divine in each of, of you meet. How would that be to see the divine in everyone you meet? What would your worldview be like? And I... I want to share this story that, that points to that. It's a, it's a great story. Um, and then close. Um, this story concerns a monastery that had fallen upon hard times. Once a great order, as a result of waves of anti-monastic persecution in the 17th and 18th centuries, and the rise of secularism in the 19th, all its branch houses were lost and it had become decimated to the extent that there were only five monks left in the decaying mother house, the abbot and four others, all over 70 years in age. Clearly, it was a dying order. In the deep woods surrounding the monastery, there was a little hut that a rabbi from a nearby town occasionally used for hermitage. Through their many years of prayer and contemplation, the old monks had become a bit psychic, so they could always sense when the rabbi was in his hermitage. The rabbi is in the woods. The rabbi is in the woods again, they would whisper to each other. As he agonized over the imminent death of his order, of his order, it occurred to the abbot at one such time to visit the hermitage and ask the rabbi if by some possible chance he could offer any advice that might save the monastery. The rabbi welcomed the abbot at his hut, but when the abbot explained the purpose of his visit, the rabbi could only commiserate with him. I know how it is, he exclaimed. The spirit has gone out of the people. It is the same in my town. Almost no one comes to the synagogue anymore. So the old abbot and the old rabbi wept together. Then they read parts of the Torah and quietly spoke of deep things. The time came when the abbot had to leave, and they embraced each other. It's been a wonderful thing that we should meet after all these years, the abbot said, but I still have failed in my purpose for coming here. Is there nothing you can tell me, no piece of advice you can give me that would help me save my dying order? No, I'm sorry, the rabbi responded. I have no advice to give. The only thing... I can tell you 
is that the Messiah is one of you. When the abbot returned to the monastery, his fellow monks gathered around him to ask, well, what did the rabbi say? He couldn't help, the abbot answered. We just wept and read the Torah together. The only thing he did say, just as I was leaving, it was something cryptic, was that the Messiah is one of us. I don't know what he meant. In the days and weeks and months that followed, the old monks pondered this and wondered whether there was any possible significance to the rabbi's words. The Messiah is one of us? Could he possibly have meant one of us monks here at the monastery? If that's the case, which one? Do you suppose he meant the abbot? Yes, if he meant anyone, he probably meant Father Abbot. He has been our leader for more than a generation. On the other hand, he might have meant Brother Thomas. Certainly, Brother Thomas is a holy man. Everyone knows that Thomas is a man of light. Certainly, he could not have meant Brother Elred. Elred gets crotchety at times. But come to think of it, even though he's a thorn in people's sides, when you look back on it, Elred is virtually always right. Often very right. Maybe the rabbi did mean Brother Elred. But surely not Brother Philip. Philip is so passive, a real nobody. But then, almost mysteriously, he has a gift for somehow always being there when you need him. He just magically appears by your side. Maybe Philip is the Messiah. Of course, the rabbi didn't mean me. He couldn't possibly have meant me. I'm just an ordinary person. Yet supposing he did. Suppose I'm the Messiah. Oh, God, not me. I couldn't be that much for you, God, could I? As they contemplated in this manner, the old monks began to treat each other with extraordinary respect on the off chance that one among them might be the Messiah. And on the off, off chance that each monk himself might be the Messiah, they began to treat themselves with extraordinary respect. Because the forest in which it was situated was beautiful, it so happened that people still occasionally came to visit the monastery to picnic on its tiny lawn, to wander along some of its paths, even now and then to go into the dilapidated chapel to meditate. As they did so, without even being conscious of it, they sensed this aura of extraordinary respect that now began to surround the five old monks and seemed to radiate out from them and permeate the atmosphere of the place. There was something strangely attractive, even compelling, about it. Hardly knowing why, they began to come back to the monastery more frequently to picnic, to play, to pray, they began to bring their friends to show them this special place, and their friends brought their friends. Then it happened that some of the younger men who came to visit the monastery started to talk more and more with the old monks. After a while, one asked if he could join them, then another, and another. So within a few years, the monastery had once again become a thriving order, and thanks to the rabbi's gift, a vibrant center of light and spirituality in the realm.
to see another person as divine, as holy, I mean, that really is the truth. If you can get beyond the story, it's a great practice. And although we usually reserve that for one or two special people in our lives, it's possible to train the heart to more and more include others in that field. This is true sangha, true noble friendship. I'll close with this statement by Albert Einstein. A human being is part of the whole called by us universe, a part limited in time and space. He experiences himself, his thoughts and feelings as something separated from the rest, a kind of optical delusion of consciousness. This delusion is a kind of prison for us, restricting us to our personal desires and to affection for a few persons nearest to us. Our task must be to free ourselves from this prison by widening our circle of compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole of nature in its beauty. So perhaps we can uh, take some time to hear reflections about friendship or community, um, anything that came up from the talk or from your inner reflection that you'd like to share or raise. What is friendship to you? What's the value of sangha or community to you? So, here, pass the talking stick back and say your name as you store it behind you. Yeah. And speak right into it, put, put it right by your lips. My name is Susan, and um, I guess now would be a really good opportunity to express the uh, incredible depth of gratitude that I feel, um, not only to you, James, but to every member of the Sangha here. Um, it's, it's, a, it's just such an incredible privilege to be around wise people and to be around people who are really trying to live their lives centered around some kind of truth and service and it's a, it's such a, it's such a strong draw to be here that I keep coming back even when I live in other cities. <laughs> it's just a community of people who are really just based in 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 truth and and who really have led exemplary lives that are really a model for me. And, and it really does matter to be around that wisdom. It really, it really does make a big difference in your life. And it's just home. That's all. It's yeah. home. Yeah. Thank you. And you're a part of it. <laughs> <laughs>
Reflections on, on community and friendship. There's a lot of wisdom in this room, so not to, not to have it just up here on the stage. Yeah, raise your hand. So put it right up to your lips and say your name. Yeah. It's a good question. What is friendship? Um, from listening to you it occurs to me that there aren't words they're just deeds it's what you do not what you say or think Anything else that you... It sort of sums up love. If I had to... But it may go beyond words. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And listening to your talk, um, it right up, closer, closer really makes me reflect on um, the places in my life where I'm where fear keeps me from uh, <clears throat> really seeing people, and also uh, keeps me in this relationship where people are objects. Either I'm fearful of them, or I desire them in some way, and. What you're, you know, listening to you, it reminds me of another sort of a space or consciousness where there's a, open, a whole different kind of, a whole different quality. And, and uh, <clears throat> I, can for, I forget sometimes just being in the world, working, being in all these competitive kind of uh, pursuits and trying to get ahead. And uh, so it's... Uh, yeah, it's a real, real nice reflection. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. And all it takes is just a moment getting beyond that, that first level to see, oh, there's a person who, who wants to be happy like me or gets frightened like me and is not so different from me. And just a moment, it, it dissolves, that barrier dissolves. And you, it's not like you can do it with everybody that you meet all the time. You, but it's a practice to, to try to just see beyond that first level. Please, don't be shy. And that was Larry, and this is Janet over here. And say your name first. I'm Santiago. Um, I was born in a different country, in a different type of uh, physical environment and also social environment. I come from Chile. And um, since I was a young kid, I always was reluctant to belong to 
an organization, a specific uh, party or community, mainly because it was always structured and full of do's and don'ts. What I, what I like about the community that you have created is that it allows the individual to choose and to be flexible in terms of what feels good with yourself as opposed to a set of dogmas that are always established by the structure. And I think that that feeling of freedom and opportunities to be selective about what you what feels good with you is what attracts me to this type of uh, practice. Mm -hmm. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, that's what hooked me too, you know. Somebody tries to tell me the truth, yeah, like that. But if somebody says, look for yourself, see, see if you see what I see. Oh, okay. Just a little bit of space goes a long way. Thanks. Anything else? Last comments? I want to thank you again and again, James, for giving this talk and being here. And, uh, and you yourself are... Uh, probably the attraction that we circle around and uh, your love and understanding I see have grown through the years and with that so have mine oh, thank you okay <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, well, I really appreciate it. And it's, it's a community that we create here together. That's, that's the beauty. You know? there, there's something that, that gets drawn out just from people's sincerity. And uh, I'm really blessed with this community and with, with um, friends who tell me when I'm off, those, those good friends who tell me when, when I don't know, you know, with my uh, the other Spirit Rock teachers and my wife and uh, my son and uh, you know we we all you know we're so fortunate. Just think of all the people in your life who um, who care enough to tell you and uh, care enough to show you their, their love too. So uh, let's close with a loving kindness and we'll include friendship in there. And this week, I would encourage you, if you want to take a little simple homework assignment that you don't have to write anything about, just to work with and practice. Um, remember that story of the, the monastery and start seeing the others around you as, as the Buddha or the, the Messiah or Jesus or you know God. I mean, that's what I get from a lot of the Judeo-Christian teachings, when you really are in touch with the truth, you see God in everyone, or the Buddha in everyone, and just to practice that for the week, see what comes out of them as you see that in them. And also to appreciate all your, your friendships. So, breathing through the heart center, 
Just visualize breathing in light and loving energy. And filling your whole being with that energy. And extending it outward, surrounding yourself with that energy. And then sending some kind thoughts to yourself because you are part of that circle of compassion. And as you can see your own goodness, then you have that much more to, to share with others. So send thoughts of kindness to yourself. May I have happiness in my life. May I have real peace inside. May I grow in caring and compassion. And may I express my love well. Now think of good friends in your life might have a, a procession in your mind or maybe just one or two people who make your life richer who you can feel their care and feel how your heart opens just thinking of them. Just feel how blessed you are to have the friendships that you do. And send one of these people, or if you'd like, can have a whole group. Um, can be done in different ways. Just send some kind thoughts to them, loving thoughts. May you be happy. May you really be happy. See them happy. May you have real peace. and visualize them in a peaceful state. May you grow in love and in kindness and have a life filled with friendship.
and then expanding to include everyone here and all your friends, friends, and their friends, and just expand out to include all beings in all directions. May all beings, as I want to be happy, may all be happy. As I want peace, may all beings have real peace. As I want love, may all be touched by the power of loving kindness. And know real friendship. May all beings everywhere be happy. Thank you for your attention. This talk was given by James Barris at Berkeley Sitting Group in 1999. It is an offering of the Dharma Seed Audio 